Well, last week, uh, if you were here or if you weren't here, uh, we cast vision for the type of place that we want to be uh, and the type of people that we want to be. We're going to be people who pursue God, people who are equipped with the word of God and people who reach people. Not just people who are kind to people, but reach people with the gospel of Jesus, the hope of the world. Uh, we talked about foundations. We talked about um, that building, the Burj Khalifa, and how it has this incredible foundation. And it needs that foundation because if it doesn't have that, it's not going to be able to withstand uh, the windstorms and the sandstorms in its location. And in the same way in our lives personally, we need a deep-rooted foundation in Christ and in our corporate community at the Rock Church as a whole, and in this little sect, this little section of the Rock as young adults, we need a deep-rooted foundation uh, because you can only build so high with a faulty foundation. You can get, uh, you can um, get away with a ninety-nine percent sturdy foundation for a while, but it'll ultimately ultimately fall. And I was thinking this morning, I was like, how could I use that? Uh, you know, last week we talked about the Burj Khalifa, and then I was thinking this morning about the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And I just really quickly did a little bit of research and they did some uh, renovations to it, I think in 2001. And I've never seen it. I don't know if you guys have uh, in person, but it's a really interesting building, obviously. It's leaning, <laughs> as the name implies. And, but I, I, just in my quick research, I don't know if this is supposed to comfort anybody, but they gave it 300 years until it falls. And it's like, well, that's great. But it is going to fall at some point. You know what I mean? So it's like 99% sturdy. But there will come a day when that thing will fall over unless they do something about it. And in the same way as individuals in our personal walk with Jesus and also as a corporate community, as a gathering of young people, if we have a 99% solid foundation, it will fall. So the way that we start matters. Uh, It's a picture of what's to come. And what's at the beginning is a sneak peek of the end. And for the next few weeks, we're going to unpack what a solid foundation in Christ looks like, again, for us personally, but also as a community. Uh, So for most of you, today's talk for the next 15 minutes or so is going to sound maybe redundant. It's going to sound monotonous. It's going to sound like, dude, I learned this in Sunday school, but I want to set the foundation for us so that we can just grow and be this Burj Khalifa of young adults in the Bay Area where we are a shining light of Christ, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's, that's my heart for this group, and it's Pastor Rick's heart for our entire church. Um, so the best way to start, I believe, is to have a biblical, truthful, and full understanding of what the gospel is. And that's the question today that we're asking is, what is the gospel? Um, and The next few minutes is going to be fun for me because this is just going to be theology talk for a minute, which might excite some of you and some of some of the rest of you may be in dread, but that's okay. Uh, This is fun because before we talk about what the gospel is, we're going to talk about what it isn't. And I am going to unashamedly uh, rip off from John Mark Comer for the next few minutes because he has a really great analysis of the four gospels in America right now. Um, This is not an exhaustive list of oh, this church over here is this gospel. This church over here is this gospel. But this is a good summary of different perspectives on what the gospel is. And then we're going to land with a biblical view, the Jesus view of what the gospel is. Does that sound good? Awesome. Um, So like I said, this is just a breakdown and I added my own thoughts to this. Um, And again, this is not to be exhaustive. This isn't like 
you know, New Life Church is this and Cornerstone is this. That's not my heart in this at all. This is more of an analysis of the church at large, especially in the West, okay? So the first gospel that churches, that gatherings that people tend to live by, um, there's certain groups, uh, is the social gospel. The social gospel. The social gospel is this mentality, this ideology uh, that Jesus came to help and love the poor and the marginalized. Uh, and on the extreme fringes of this movement, they would say that Jesus was a socialist feminist who was murdered by the system. And uh, I believe that obviously, clearly, Jesus's ministry was uh, for everyone, including the marginalized, the oppressed, the ostracized, those who were kicked out, pushed out from society. He had a heart for the few and the far between. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, but living out this gospel, and I use air quotes for a reason, this gospel isn't as much about relationship to God, but more about human rights and love via total acceptance. Just be who you are, un, like unashamedly, whatever you feel, it's all good. Just be who you are. Jesus just wants you to be happy. He just wants you to be your true self. And that's it's kind of like a Disney gospel in that way. But there is a silver lining to this movement which is that proponents care deeply about those that are on the fringes. And as Christ followers, that is part of our mission. But it's not the whole picture of what the gospel is. The next is a fun one, and it's the prosperity gospel. Uh, If you've been in church for a while, you probably have heard about this movement, and it's not new. This has been around. It was prominent, especially in the 80s and the 90s, especially with the rise of televangelists. Uh, This is the health and wealth gospel. Name it and claim it. There's a bunch of other taglines for it, but... Basically, the mentality is that um, Jesus died to make you happy. He died to meet every single one of your needs and your wants. If you want the car, just have enough faith and it'll be yours. If you want the house, just have enough faith and it will be yours. Anything, any sort of hindrance or suffering in your life is not from God. It's absolutely from the devil. And you just need to have enough faith and just pray it away that's kind of the prosperity gospel, that God wants you healthy, happy, and wealthy all the time, no matter what. That's only God's heart for you. Uh, my question for the prosperity gospel proponents would be, what do you do with suffering? What do we do with the natural human experience that we all suffer, that we go through hard times? What do you do with the fact that God signed off on the devil causing chaos in Job's life? What do you do with scripture in the New Testament in the letters saying suffer well? Even in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 talks about, uh, Peter says that um, in the face of suffering, in the face of persecution, Jesus didn't uh, retaliate, but instead he left his hands in the case of God. But the silver lining, there is a silver lining again to the prosperity gospel. There's a, there is a, a little part of it that's good. I don't want to be entirely negative. The silver lining is a true belief that God can He hears from heaven and can and will move in your life. And I think that's good. And I would say amen to that. And I do believe that God responds to faith. I believe that God responds to hunger, but I don't believe that it's God's will 100% of the time for us only to be happy and wealthy and just really attractive and just have, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that's God's heart. I don't think that's revealed in scripture. Uh, The third version whatever you want to call it of the gospel uh, is the reformed gospel. We're not going to go super deep into this because it ties in with our last uh, as well. But the reformed gospel, notable teachers in this movement are John Piper uh, and John MacArthur. 
whose work is incredible. I have disagreements with them. Everybody has disagreements with each other. It's okay. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, but the Reformed gospel is an extremely high view of Christ's atonement on the cross and God's wrath towards sin and the systems of the world. And I would say amen to that. Like we should have the highest view of Christ's atonement that he paid the price for us on the cross, amen? Like we should be so, like that should be elevated above all things in our life, that I am a sinner, absolutely, um, but Jesus paid the price for me. It's not about my good works or anything like that. And um, we won't go too deeply into the reform side of things because I don't have time to break down tulip Calvinism, maybe another time, uh, but it ties in with the last, which is, the evangelical gospel. And if you've grown up in church, you can probably fill in the blank of what I'm about to say. The evangelical gospel is that you're a sinner. You need to be forgiven of your sin. Jesus paid the price on the cross by shedding his blood. It's by faith in him and his finished work. You can be forgiven, be in relationship with God and spend eternity with him when you die. Uh, And very often an evangelical gospel message is ended with an altar call or a moment to shoot your hand up, make eye contact with the pastor, repeat after me prayer. And to that, I would say, amen. I, there's a movement of people who I don't want to say despise, but are pushing against that. I actually think it's really good to have a moment in church, in the body of Christ, where people who are once outside of the family of God can say, yeah, that's me. (laughs) I, I believe what you're saying, dude. Like, I believe that I'm a sinner. Yeah, I'm shooting my hand up and I'm gonna pray that prayer. And I think it's good. But the problem with the evangelical gospel is that so many people stop there. They see it as the finish line, the check mark. I'm good, got my hall pass to heaven. Here we go. I'm not going to the bad place. I'm going to the good place. Back to business as usual. But what does Jesus have to say? What does the word of God have to say? And we're going to get to the gospel according to Jesus in one second, but this is kind of a fun exercise for us to think about. If you were to ask a random person on the street, hey, what do you think Jesus's first message was? If you were to just ask a random, or even ask yourself, maybe you don't know, and that's okay. What was Jesus's first message? You might get some answers. Some people would say, well, we just, you know, he probably said like, we got to just love everybody and just accept everyone how they are. That might be one response. Some people might say, oh, it's probably like, guys, repeat after me this prayer and you'll go to heaven. Or, you know what? Behold, be true to yourself and just follow your heart. (laughs) Some people may think that was Jesus's first message. Um, Or the last one, just have enough faith and God will make your wildest dreams come true. (laughs) But this is the gospel according to Jesus. Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus's first message. His first message wasn't, now go out and be kind. His first message was not, go be a good person. His first message wasn't, have enough faith and it'll all be yours. His first message wasn't, hey, go and protest at this thing. I'm not saying I'm against protest, but that, you know, we have this, these common misconceptions of what Jesus really cared about at his core. And like I said at the beginning, the first thing, the beginnings, the first of a stage is a sneak peek to the ending. Jesus is making a big statement because this is his first message. And the message is, Repent. 
And this isn't the kind of repentance that you see on a billboard with like flames around it and stuff like that. I think people have used this language, unfortunately, for a false presentation of what the gospel is. Um, A lot of you may know this because you're really smart, but the Greek word uh, used here for repent is metanoia, uh, and it's to change one's mind. That's what it means. It means to change one's mind. It doesn't mean say sorry. It doesn't mean be better. Jesus is literally saying, I want you to change your mind. Well, change my mind about what? What do I want to change my mind about? Well, we have to think about the context of who he's talking to. He is talking to Jews who would believe that they're already in the family of God because they won the Jewish lottery. They won. <laughs> they were born into the right family at the right time. They're born into God's people. Sucks for all the Gentiles, but I'm in the family. That's what they would have thought. And Jesus is saying, I want you to change your mind. Repent, turn from what you thought was the way towards salvation and believe in this gospel. He says, change your mind by believing in this gospel. And we find in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, one through four, Paul lays out the gospel and he does this so many times throughout the letters. And this is what it says. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved. If you hold fast to that word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel is not pray this prayer and you'll go to heaven. It's so much better than that. It's so much better than that. The gospel according to Jesus and according to the word of God in its entirety is the kingdom of God is here, brought down by God himself. Repent, turn from your sin, trust and believe in the finished work of the cross and enter into this new way of living. The problem with the social gospel, the reform gospel, the prosperity gospel, and even the evangelical gospel is that so often it stops at a raised hand and a prayed prayer. When in reality, Jesus says, turn from everything that you thought was the way to salvation. Turn from everything that you once thought. Turn to me, turn to this gospel that I am laying my life down for you to bring you into God's family. Jesus didn't die so that I would pray a prayer and just go from one place to another. No, he wants to change the here and now as well as your eternity. It's not just about going from here to eternity. It's about getting eternity into here. That's why Jesus says, our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's in heaven, what's in eternity, what is to come, we want that in the here and now. The gospel is not just so that I would on a random, because we probably, most of us, know one, two, maybe even more people Family members that came to church one time. And it's the altar call moment and you're nervous and everything. You're like, are they going to pray the prayer? You know, and you're, you're like, your eyes are closed, but like you're looking over, right? And they're like hoping to see. And maybe you saw them shoot their hand up and you're like, yes, come on. This is amazing. And I'm not belittling that at all. That is incredible. I believe that that is a marker and a moment of salvation, not diminishing that whatsoever. 
but then we analyze the fruit of their life for a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and nothing changes. Nothing changes. Why is that? It's because the gospel is not just designed to change my eternity, but to change my here and now, to follow the way of Jesus, to become a true disciple, apprenticing under the way of Jesus. And the way that we do that is by understanding our identity in Christ, walking in the spiritual disciplines, and cultivating a love for his presence and the word of God. Like I said, over the next few weeks, this is just going to be foundations. And the and I'm, I'm closing with this. This will be my last thing. Um, when I was praying really about what I wanted young adults to be about and, and everything, I just kept hear, hearing the word orthodoxy. Orthodoxy. And not like big O orthodox church. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. Orthodoxy in the sense of what has been the common denominator of the church of the last 2,000 years? Because the church looks very diverse right now. And I think sometimes it's a really good thing. There should be different expressions of worship as long as it comes under alignment with the word of God. But my heart would be that we are so grounded in the word of God, the presence of God, and how he truly designs us to live. And I'm excited to get into the spiritual disciplines as well because I think that the spiritual disciplines are literally (laughs) the key to accessing the life that Jesus designed us for. Silence, solitude, praying praying a daily office, having prayer times throughout the day, not just a 15-minute window in the morning, fasting, praying the scriptures, worshiping, communion. It's all under the guise of the way of Jesus and apprenticing under him. And just as we close, I want to say this, that a hand raised and a prayed prayer or a repeat after me prayer is the start of a marathon. And what it means is that you're not running alone. We have the Holy Spirit locked arms with us as we run this race and the Son will greet us at the end of that race and present us to the Father as a pure and spotless bride. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for these young adults. And God, we pray uh, this morning, this week, Lord, as we go from here, would we be changed? Would we have such a deep conviction about what the gospel is that it's not about making my life better or making my life easier, uh, raising the threshold of my happiness. Jesus, you came to introduce us to an entirely different way of living, of giving rather than receiving, serving rather than being served, loving in the face of persecution, being faithful under suffering, and being kind in the face of anger and malice. So Jesus, begin to change us. And I thank you, Lord, that we're in a place at, at our church, Lord, where this is celebrated, where we, we can, we're at this place where the word of God is exalted and celebrated, where, the, where your presence is ushered in. We thank you for gathering us on this Labor Day weekend. We praise you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.